0: Tonight, we are continuing our study of the life of David. Uh, We did a couple of introductory lessons last month about sort of his context and his character. And now we're getting into the first major story. Uh, David and Goliath is, of course, the first major story in the life of David. And I'd be hard-pressed, it's possible that there's not a more well-known story. I do think it's possible that more people know about David and Goliath than know about the resurrection, even. Uh, it's, It's permeated into our even the way we talk about things in language, even in sports, right? Uh, when there's a, a really good team versus a not-so-good team, they, they talk about it in that language, David versus Goliath. It has permeated every facet of our culture. Yeah, the theme verse of our study, 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. This is, of course, when Samuel is selecting David as, as uh, the Lord's anointed. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. This is the eldest brother. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is one of the main verses of our study. And ultimately the questions we're asking is, are, how can we become people after God's own heart? How can we emulate the characteristics of David that made him somebody that even though others looked at him and thought that can't be king, that guy can't be king, yet he still was the one that God wanted. How do we become that kind of person? This is one of the main themes of David's early life, especially his early life, as we go through the different stories of, of David's life. And, and as we say, there might not be a more famous story than David and, the, and, and Goliath. Let's talk about a bit about the background of this story as we set the stage for what is taking place in First Samuel 17. We're going to be in First Samuel 17 uh, most of the time, not all the time. First Samuel 17, verse 3. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a, a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. You read commentaries, because cubit is not a, uh, cubit is not a standard measurement, Technically, a cubit is the length of the king's forearm. Uh, from the king's elbow to the king's finger. Which meant, of course, it changed from king to king. Uh, of course, but, you know, standardization was not as much of a thing as it is now. So you get range a range from... 7 feet to 10 feet probably is, depending on how it's measured, and what unit of cubit you use. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze. A lot of bronze going on, slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. What's the point of all this? A lot of these things don't matter to us. Not, not matter. A lot of these things don't make sense to us immediately because they're not the measurements we use. His stuff's very heavy and big. He's very big. That's, that's the point, right? He's a big dude. And, and you know, I've, I've, I've done a deep dive before. We're not going to do it in this study. I've done a deep dive before on the descendants of, of uh, Anak. He is one of the Anak. Goliath is one of the Anakim. Uh, from the region of Gath. If you're interested in more info about that, why was he such a big dude? There's info to be had, but we're not going to dig into it tonight. But if you're interested in that, you can come talk to me. Uh, We continue in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17. Uh, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out... Uh, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. A couple of things. Groups adopt the personality of their leaders. That is true of all groups, of all humans that have ever been. The personality of the leader permeates through the rest of the group. Here we see Israel had adopted the personality of its king, who did not want to be king in the first place. You remember he hid in the bags. Who, when the he was about to fight a war and the soldiers were waiting and waiting and waiting for the sacrifice, and, and Samuel's gotta come and do the sacrifice. And he didn't want to wait anymore. Why? Because he was afraid his his army would leave. Uh, And so Israel had adopted the personality of somebody who was timid, unsure, and scared. Unwilling to take risk. That's what had happened. Saul was that way. Israel became that way. Separated from and not trusting in God. Now, here's the question that I always ask when I first think about the story. Why did they allow the enemy to dictate terms? Nobody says war has to be fair. Get a longbowman and shoot that guy in the neck from the hill. What are you doing, Israel? Why are you doing that? I I just don't understand. We let the, and I say we, they, but we'll make the application. They let the enemy dictate the terms of engagement. They didn't have to do that. Seriously, why are they not just assassinating that guy? We do that too, don't we? We let the enemy, our enemy being the devil, dictate our lives. You don't have to fight fair with the devil, guys. How would we do that? When I think that I have to overcome a struggle or temptation by myself, you're letting the devil dictate terms. You don't have to overcome sin by yourself. That's kind of the point of this group, right? It doesn't have to just be you. That's the beauty of the church. So we're like, well, if I don't do it by myself, I'm not good enough. Well, yeah, you're not good enough. That's the whole point. Bring in backup. Bring in others to help you overcome your struggle. We do not have to let the enemy dictate terms of combat. And as we go through the story, uh, we can, of course, allow Goliath to stand in for any number of trials that we face that we engage with either on the world's terms, like the way the world would think about these things, and we let the world, of course, the devil just uses that to trick us, Right? That if I don't do things a particular way according to my culture or according to tradition or according to my family habits, then I haven't done them in the right way. All that matters is did you do it in a way that was pleasing to God? That's it. That's the whole thing. And when we let other things add on to requirements that God has not dictated, you're letting the devil dictate how you fight him and you're going to lose. Right? We keep going. James, no, not yet. James 1, 2-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, and 5. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. The second verse particularly, of course, we think about the trials. Israel was not excited about this. And they could have been, right? They could have been excited. Here we have a chance to defeat one of Israel's enemies. This is going to bring a lot of glory to God because look how huge that dude is. He's, they think he's so great. We're going to bring so much glory to God when we go forward and he gives us the victory. They could have had that attitude about Goliath. Just like we could have that attitude about trials. Because why? Because what 2 Corinthians 4 says. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. It's not about how great I am. If it is about how great I am, then what will be the result? Failure will be the result. Because I am not sufficient, but I don't proclaim myself. But Jesus Christ is Lord. We cannot let the devil blind us. Our enemy wants to create battlegrounds advantageous to himself, ultimately to isolate and separate us. Why did, he why did Goliath not just attack the whole army? Because he knew he couldn't defeat the whole army. So he tricked them in trying to send one dude. Now, the irony of the story, not the irony, of course the beauty of the story is that God can even use that circumstance to accomplish his victory, which we'll see as we go to the setup. As David, of course, is not there at the beginning, he is off tending sheep. And we read this last week. No. Last month, uh, playing the the uh, playing music for him to calm his spirit, and there's a verse that says he's going back and forth between Saul and playing music for him, and then back to tending sheep, and then back and forth and back. He's been doing that for a while. We don't know how long exactly, but at this particular juncture, he's off tending the sheep. He's not in the camp yet. Verse 16 of of chapter 17. For 40 days, the Philistines came forward and took a stand. 40 days. Can you even remember what happened 40 days ago? It's like, what was that? End of April? I don't know. That's a long time, guys. Like, all of May, what day is it? 6th? Even just from the beginning of May, that they've been sitting at this camp, and he's been coming every day, morning and evening, and issuing this challenge. That's a ridiculously long time. Then David rose early in the morning, of course he goes, leaves the sheep and comes and brings provisions to his family. Uh, He took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the encampment and the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. You get the sense that they've just sort of been doing this every morning and evening and they've just sort of been drawing up for battle and then going back to the camp and then drawing up for battle. David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. That is a ridiculous story. Forty days. So they gather up for war ready to go, one guy comes out, even if he's huge, issues a challenge, and they slink back, afraid. Verse 28. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, uh, heard that David was there and was was hearing what was going on. And Eliab's anger, of course, this is the guy, right? Eliab is the guy that we previously read. Samuel sees him, and Samuel's like, oh yeah, this definitely is going to be the king, and this is who God said. Don't look at his outward appearance. I don't look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. That was spoken of Eliab. Eliab's angler is kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few... Look at the insult here. This is an insult as only a brother could give. Who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Not only do you not have a lot of sheep, you should be with them. What are you doing here? I know your presumption and evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. Now, Oops, I'm getting ahead of myself. As we see the theme, did Eliab know David's heart? No, of course he didn't. He presumed to know David's heart, just like we presume to know the hearts of others, just like, to be fair, Samuel presumed to know when presented with Eliab. Oh, this has got to be the king. Samuel's presuming there. He doesn't know. Eliab's presuming here probably out of maybe jealousy, maybe resentment, Maybe a little bit concerned for his brother. Get out of here. You don't want to get killed, maybe. But we know, of course, that Eliab is wrong here. He's not come down to see the battle. He's come down to give the supplies from his father. Now, I guess he did leave the baggage. He is right about this. David did leave the stuff with the baggage guy and went down and saw the thing. So maybe he's a little bit right. But it's not out of the evilness of his heart. And so what does David do? He goes and he is upset and angry. And I want to pause at this moment in the story. The anger of David. He sees what's going on. Presumably he asks around about the 40 days. And he's angry. Angry at Goliath, yes. But also angry at Israel. What are you you guys doing? Why are you letting him talk that way? About God? How could you be doing this? That is the marker of a man after God's own heart who will not stand for his heavenly father to be besmirched. He will not stand for those to talk ill about his God, especially those who should be doing something about it. We keep reading in verse 34. He goes to Saul, of course we know, and says what? Let me Adam, him. Basically, let me Adam. him. I'll, I'll take him. And Saul is, is says, you can't do that. You're just a boy. David says to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb from the flock. And I w- went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. If he arose against me, I caught him by his beard. Caught him by his beard. I just want to picture that for a minute. Like, a bear is a pretty big thing, guys. How big is a lion or a bear? I mean, really? He just grabs him he arose I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God and David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine what gave David confidence we could use the word here faith what gave David faith that God would continue to do what he had done The past thing that God had did, right? What David had experienced in the past is what gave him confidence for the future. The things that he had experienced in the past, which could have, and and again, we're thinking about what makes a person a man after God's own heart. He could have had the attitude, I'm so awesome. I've killed lions and bears. Don't you know that I'm so great? Look Look how cool I am, how strong I am. He could have had that attitude, and not unwarranted. He did kill bears and lions. I couldn't kill a bear or a lion. Maybe I've had a gun. But to grab him by the, just flap him. Like, I'm not doing that. So he could have, I think rightly, we could have had this attitude that he's, he is really good at, at fighting. But he doesn't have that attitude, right? He takes the things that have happened in the past, even his own prowess, and gives God the credit for it, Right? The one who delivered me, not myself, God, who delivered me from the bear and the lion will deliver me again. Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. What God has done in the past, sent his son for us. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here we're making a physical analogy into a spiritual application, obviously, but what gave David confidence? The thing that happened in the past, applying that to the future. What gives me confidence? if God would send his son to die for me, if Jesus would demonstrate his empathy and his compassion for me in being willing to undergo such great turmoil and stress, why would he not continue to help me? Jesus is not going to go through the whole business of the cross just to abandon me now. He will continue to give me the mercy and the grace and the help. Because he's already done the hardest part. It would be foolish of him, and we know he's not a fool, to invest so much into us only to let us fail after the hard work. He wants to keep helping. Each victory of faith strengthens us for the next trial. If what? If what? If we do what David did and give God credit for the victory. If we make it about us, it doesn't help us with the next thing. But each time we have a victory of faith, whatever that happens to be, enduring a hard thing, having a hard conversation, resisting a temptation, bringing somebody to Christ, whatever it may be, we have victories and if we give God the credit, it builds our trust in the next challenge. But if I make it about me and how great I am and I was so awesome, then yes, in the next challenge, what? Inevitably, I'm going to fail and fall we keep reading the conflict as we come to the climax of the story and i love this picture this is a great picture look at him ridiculous which is exactly what happens right he's been give, he's given he's given this awesome armor and he probably looked very similar to that just absolutely ridiculous verse 38 Saul clothed David with his armor he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, and David strapped his sword over his armor. He tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. He tried in vain. Yeah, because look at him. He's so scrawny. Oh, I don't know if he was scrawny. Although, i got to say, this he probably was not... Where did my picture go? He probably was not scrawny, because if he's grabbing a bear by the beard and hitting him in the head and killing him, he's, he's not a weakling. Uh, but he is small, probably, right? Because he's a youth. He's not used to this kind of armor. He's not used to, to doing this kind of thing. Uh, he tried in vain to go, but he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I can't go with these, for I have not tested them. Not that he's not able to, but he's not used to it, right? So David put them off. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. Why? Because that's what he's used to. That's what he has tested. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Think about the battles that we fight. Spiritual battles. Spiritual battles. We often want to use, and again, we want to use the weapons of the world. We want to engage in the way the world engages. Once you go down that path, the devil's already won. Once you start engaging with conflict the way the world engages with conflict, he's won because now you're like the world. 2 Corinthians ten three through 5 For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons over warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Conceive of Goliath. Let's say, let's split the difference, nine feet. Could be as much as ten, could be as little as seven. I did some interesting, there's some interesting research about Genetics over time. Genetic statistics over time. It's probable that the average Israelite was f- between 5'3 and 5'7 at the time. Who's 5'3 in here? Anybody 5'3 in here? Pam. Think about Pam. Or, or BJ. That's in the margin of error for the average Israelite. Who's 5'7? Oh, perfect. Lee and BJ. Oh, just a great pair for this. Lee would have been on the taller end of average for an Israelite versus nine foot. Of course, nobody's nine foot. I don't know. I should have measured how much. Do we know how big the stage is? Does anybody know? Nobody knows. Huh? Two and a half feet? So let's just say me plus the stage. Me here. So imagine, hey, Lee, come up here for a minute. He didn't know I was going to do this. No. Do you have one? If you have one, you absolutely can bring it. So Stand right there. No. So this is Goliath, and that's, that's actually probably David shorter than that, right? Because he's a youth. Just picture this in your mind. Thanks, Lee. That's the height difference we're talking about here. I understand why Israel was afraid, right? I understand he is a giant dude. Again, just throw a spear at him from the hill. I don't know why they didn't do that. Anyway, in your life, you're not going to encounter a nine-foot dude. you not. But the things that you face feel gigantic. Don't they? The things that you face feel like they're just so huge. And if we try to fight them with ways that are of the world, we try to fight them the way the world fights challenges, whatever it could be. That's not how this works. God's power, the divine power of his weapons are of the mind and of the heart. The challenges that you face, maybe it's marriage problems, maybe it's uh, temptations to sin, maybe it's health struggle, maybe it's persecution at work. I don't know. I know it feels giant to you, and I don't discount that. But I also know that it is tiny. Tiny compared to the power of God. And when we try to fight these battles, using tactics that the world would use, if it's interpersonal conflict, don't approach that the way the world does. Approach it the way that Jesus would. If it's health struggles, you're thinking about trying to approach a health struggle. I'm not saying you shouldn't use modern medicine, but ultimately we know that God is the one that is in control of that. And he is so much bigger than whatever you are facing. For consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Kind of a dig at the Corinthians. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Like David was foolish. And we'll see this in just a minute. Goliath, he goes out to Goliath and Goliath is like, what? What, do you think I'm a dog that you're going to send this boy to kill me? Foolish. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You do not have to be strong the way the world counts strength because it's not about you. It is about him. What do you trust in? What are you familiar with? What has God done in your life previously? Thinking back to David's words. He thought to what God had done previously. This is good enough. The sling and the stones. Because this is what God has used in the past to help me overcome. I don't need any other fancy stuff. Because it's not about me. It's about God. And so we think about this conflict. This is not to scale. This should be bigger. I, I wish it was a bigger thing, because you think about what we just read or saw with Lee. He goes to, uh, to Sam, uh, not Samson, Goliath. He goes to Goliath. Goliath mocks him, says, you're just you're a puny person. I'm going I'm to split you open and feed the beast, is what he says. And David responds this way. David said to the Philistine, you come with to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. And I would encourage you, this is actually what I want you to do tonight. I want you to pray this verse. Don't put sword, spear, and javelin because nobody's coming at you with one of those. I want you to write this verse out with the thing that is facing you. Could be a relationship, could be a job, could be a health problem. But put in your thing. You come at me with whatever. And what does David say? But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I love that word, Lord of hosts, the phrase, over of hosts. We don't talk about that as much about his names. One of the things that he's called the Lord of hosts, what does that mean? the commander of gigantic armies. Of course, it evokes really what Jesus says in the garden. Do you not know that I could call and he would send, what, 12 legions of angels? That's the host. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. When you're praying this, maybe don't use cut off your head. Put in what it would be to be victorious over your problem, whatever it is in your life. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, the wild beasts of the earth, and all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. All the assembly will know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. We sing that song, don't we? In heavenly armor we'll enter land, the battle belongs to the Lord. No weapons is fashioned against us will stand. I like that song. Ray leads it. Is it right here, Ray's not here. Could have had him here right now we all face our giants but they are not really that gigantic in the face of our god we know of course the end of the story right picks up a stone slings it at him i was literally just talking to gideon 35 minutes ago and he said dad why didn't goliath have armor on his forehead an interesting question he did have a helmet a helmet of bronze right obviously it was not the kind of helmet there are some kinds of helmets that do sort of swoop down and they have like a guard here he obviously didn't have that kind of helmet but ultimately it wouldn't have mattered if he had a helmet with that they would have hit it somewhere else because it wasn't about David it was about God right so he hits him right here he drops falls over David cuts his head off victory is victory is David's This boy, this youth, was victorious not because he was so great. And he knew that. He said it already. The Lord who delivered me out of the hand of the bear and the lion. Not, I'm so awesome and killed the bear and the lion, so I'll kill the Goliath too. The Lord who delivered me out of the hand of the bear and the lion will also deliver me from this Philistine. Your problem, whatever it is, the Lord who delivered you from the power of the devil Can deliver you from that problem. Because whatever problem you're facing, it's not worse than the power of sin. It's not worse than the fear of death. These things are temporary. We'll end with 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, as David humbled himself under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you not that i'm going to exalt myself but god will exalt me now fortunately for david the proper time for him to be exalted was right now i'm going to exalt you in front of the hands of the philistines casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil there is an adversary there is a lion seeking someone to devour resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I don't know what suffering you're facing. I know that it is not eternal. It's not eternal. Maybe you won't get relief in this life. That's a possibility. But you will have relief and victory. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will do that. That's not, an, that's not an optional. It's not he may do that. He will do that. If what? If we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. This is ultimately the failure of the Israelites, right? The Israelites who should have known better because they'd seen what God had done in the past. They did not put God in the place of authority and power. They were relying on their own strength. So, of course, they were terrified. Stop relying on your own strength. Rely on God. And maybe, if you're here tonight, that will involve us. He operates and uses us as his strength, doesn't he, sometimes? Operating through his family to accomplish his will. So maybe that's it. Maybe you need help from us. Let us know. Don't let the devil dictate how you fight him. Fight him with us. Fight him with us. Come while we stand and sing.